a unique assignment to preach today. Not that I haven't preached hundreds of sermons after someone has passed away. But this is a unique setting. And a unique time for our church. A number of weeks ago we were talking about the preaching ministry. How it would be accomplished. And after Reverend Norman Moore was with us, we decided that uh, we had enough preachers with a message on their heart. Right here in our fellowship. That knew us best. So we gave them that assignment. Sam was one of the first. He says, I'm, I'm ready to preach. Wow. I think we were all at Denny's last Sunday. What a great story he shared about uh, reaching out beyond ourselves. But they, they, they did something at that meeting where we were talking about preaching. They, they made it an assignment that we would preach out of the book of Mark. Did you get that notice, Sam? Didn't get that, did you? No, I was the only one that got it. Everybody, they changed their mind. And I had this sermon on Mark, the man. This, well, I call him Marky. Because he was young. Rather brash. And didn't always make the right decisions. And we'll see that in just a moment. And then it became obvious as time marched on that maybe I shouldn't preach about Mark. I've been around hospice. And I, I just pretty much guessed that today would be the sermon that I would preach following the death of Norma. That that would be the sequence. And I looked to my passage that I had chosen, and lo and behold, it was exactly the same passage that I was going to preach concerning Mark. Only emphasis upon another verse. There's a big difference, I've found out, as to how people approach death and dying, their final days. There are some, and probably what I'm going to say to you would be true of anyone who comes to that moment. There seems to be, within all of us, a need to fight to live. That is what obsesses us, what grips us, to live life to the hilt for Christ. And then there comes this need that we have to prepare to die. And in hospice, we see that transition where the news is given. Why not consider hospice care? I, I just want to say to you that uh, how we respond to that word hospice, I'm as guilty as anyone. I didn't understand it. I, uh, before I was actually a hospice chaplain, always consider it 
considered it to be a, a sentence to death. You're dying. And that, uh, well, it wasn't a welcome word. Then I began to talk to people who had been blessed. Blessed by hospice and that choice for their loved ones. And I began to experience it myself as I ministered to hundreds of people in the last five years of my ministry before I retired the first time. And how, how wonderful it was because it helped people turn from this fight to live to this whole concept of preparing for death. It happens in different ways for different people. We discovered a number of years ago a college paper written by an 18-year-old. I think it was freshman class, maybe Psychology 101. In it, this young lady wrote an autobiography of her life, of her spiritual life. Now, I'm not sure what grade the professor gave that paper. But it got an A from her daughter as Alita read probably the only document by her birth mother. And that birth mother died when she was 21 years old, having given birth to Alita five months before. And you could see how we prized that document, telling of her love for the Lord. And it, it was almost as if she had a premonition of her coming death. We looked at the Apostle Paul in two passages. And both of these passages concern, concern him with this imminent death that he could see. Let's take a look at the first one, Philippians 1, 20 through 26. We have it up here. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then Philippians 1, 21. Short enough for all of us to memorize. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I, I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. There's another passage where Paul talks about his own death. But the tone is different and the outcome is different. Second Timothy 4. 5 through 13. This is the passage that I would have preached concerning Mark 
But take a look of how it fits today. But you, keep your head in all situations. He's writing this to Timothy. Endure hardship. Do the work of, of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. At the time of my, and the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls. Especially the parchments. Two contrasting passages, both dealing with death. In the first, he says that die is gain, to die is gain. And he's acknowledging the very, in very positive terms that eternity for those in Christ will be wonderful. But in this passage, we see a fight to live. Because as soon as he says, for me to die is gain, to, 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 for me to live as Christ, to die is gain, he immediately goes in to saying, I don't want to. I, I want to stay. I, I want to minister. I want to be involved in your lives. But we see a different focus in Second Timothy. There is this move from declaring his, his, his fight to live. And he goes into now a change of tone of voice as he begins to say, I'm preparing to die. In the Philippian passage, he's saying, I have too, too much to do to die. He struggles with the idea of leaving. Oh, yes, he says, I'm ready. But not now. But we don't see that in Second Timothy. There's a marked change in his perspective. He's concentrating now on those things that need to take place as death is imminent. I hope you don't think this morbid. I, I don't mean it that way. I mean for us today to, to come to grips with the fact that we have a lot to do. Norma certainly felt that way. She was a planner. Death was rather inconvenient for her to accomplish her goals. And yet there came that moment when they all recognized, now's the time. Now's the time to call in hospice. Now's the time to call in family. Now's the time to begin the work of dying. Paul does that very thing. 
in this passage in 2 Timothy. Let me share some of the things that he did that we ought to do as well. And I believe that Norma did. First, take ownership of the reality of your coming death. I know it rather shocked Heather when a number of weeks ago I walked into her office and announced, I'm going to die. Now, I wasn't expecting to have fulfillment of that in a week or two. But the reality is we are going to die unless we come, unless Christ comes before that time. But it's a reality. It's appointed for us. And so the Apostle Paul, he takes ownership by saying, do your best to come to me quickly. He didn't have time to dilly-dally around regarding What he saw coming. He also said, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time of my departure is near. His whole life was a sacrifice unto God. It was being poured out. And he could see that the time was short. He's no longer saying, but I want to live. I I, I have a work to do. He's turned now. And, 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 And he's saying to Timothy... There are some things that need to be done. Paul knows what's happening. And he wants to get what I call the best of death by approaching it head on. So he owns it. It's going to happen. Next is the preparing for death. This, this whole concept of taking the steps to do so, there's an honest reflection of life's spiritual history. And there's a testimony that follows that history. It's a testimony of God's grace. We read, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, I suppose come, some could say, well, he's rather braggadocious, isn't he? No, I, I think the tone of voice is something that we can't quite grasp as we read it. I, I think if we can hear someone who's very aware that the end is near, perhaps you can hear Norma saying this, and some of you did. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You see, there's more than reflection here. I I believe there's a focus on what all of us need to do in following Christ. For those of us today, as we make this assessment... If you're going to make these declarations that you have done these things, then there has to be a time in your life where you actually did them. He reflected upon the fact that he did have a good fight. He was in spiritual warfare. He was taking on the enemies of Christ. He was involved. In a race. 
in the prime of his life, he was very aware of the fact that the Christian ministry, the call of God to serve others in the church was like a race. He was ready to run it. He did keep the faith. There's a call here. He's just not saying, here's what I did. He's calling us. He's calling the readers. He's calling Timothy. He's calling them to do what you need to do in what God is asking you to do in these days. I don't know what that would be for you. There are some unfinished business when it comes to Norma's life. There are some things that didn't get done. We'll talk about those in just a little bit. But I think there has to be an acceptance on our part, even today, of what now do you want me to do? Remember it was Mordecai who said to Esther, Who knows but that you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this? Alita and I have adopted a motto for our our life at this point. We keep on saying to each other, for such a time as this. God's calling us for such a time as this. It wasn't really in my plans to be on staff at this church, but for such a time as this, I'm willing. Alita thought she would be done with teaching at Point Loma, but for such a time as this, they needed her, and she responded. I like that concept for all of us. Let me just give you a little aside about someone who has come to this place. I got a blog from Beverly, Beverly Cook, this last week. She, uh, they're struggling with the whole New York thing. Why are we even here? But they can't come back. And then they met a couple who gave to them the very reason why they needed to be in Manhattan. Do you know how much it would cost to plant a church, to get a building, a church building in Manhattan? And this couple shared with David and Beverly their, their vision for house churches all through Man- Manhattan. And I said in my spirit, Amen. Wow. For such a time as this. And that was the call that they responded to. Well, next Paul expresses an anticipation of something better in heaven. This is the die is gain aspect of eternity. He says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Yes, there is a reward for those who love God and who serve them, who serve him with all the energy they have. But now we come to what I think is probably the real work that was necessary then for Paul and also for us when we come to that time when we really are actively preparing for our own death. 
Preparing for death meant focusing upon relationships. Once again, and you note the expediency of this relationship restoration work that Paul was going to be involved in. And he says in verse 9, do your best to come to me quickly. Let me just say to you, don't delay in making right those things that need to be made right. In working with hospice patients, we would often learn of a relationship that had gone sour. It might be a sibling. It might be one of the children who chose to rebel. It could be almost anything. And one of the things that we would concentrate upon was do what you can to restore that relationship. Time is short. Do your best to, to, to make it right. And we used, <laughs> we used terms uh, that involve work, mend fences, restoring relationships. And so Paul begins to mention several people in his life. The first one is Demas. He says, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. I believe that Demas represents those we need to release to whatever choices they've made regarding the grace of God. What I mean by this, oftentimes I've come across people that they become so absorbed by the wayward child that they almost forget those who have responded and loved their Lord just like they have. They become consumed with a wayward child. It seems to me that Paul is saying, I release you. I let you go. It breaks my heart. But I release you. And I believe that that is healthy. At the time when we are preparing for our own death. To release those around us. Yes, we want to give a positive witness for Christ. Yes, we want to do all we can to share with them the reality of heaven. But if the choice continues to be made. Not to, to focus upon that one who is going wayward. Because there's others to be talked about. And so next he comes to two people that perhaps we really, we really haven't talked about much. We don't see their names very much except for Titus. But there's one here also who's named Crescens. And he simply says, Crescens has gone to Galatia. And Titus to Dalmatia. Then there's a third one he mentions after he mentions Mark. And he says, I sent Tychius to Ephesus. I believe what he's doing here is he is releasing to ministry these precious people who he would often say were his companions in the work of ministry. You see, the Apostle Paul was smarter than we are. We say to a young person, Go out and plant a church, you and all by yourself. But the Apostle Paul says, hey, we're going to plant a church. Who wants to go with me and get a whole gang of people to come along? Boy, they'd go to work. In a sense, he's saying to them, 
You've had a ministry alongside of me. Now it is time for you to take up your own ministry. I want to talk to you about something. In recent years, we've seen key people leave our church to embark on new adventures in serving God. And the ones I've known have shared with me that uh, it wasn't a happy scene when they announced that God is calling me to serve him in another place. And they would hear things like, how can you do this to us? Do you hear the selfish tug there? We're coming up to celebrate a hundred years. Yes, we need to celebrate the folk who are left, but do you realize how many people we have sent out? Talked to one fellow. He was here during the war. His name was Tom. Nobody can remember him. He was talking about how many people left this place after the war and impacted the world. What if we had said to each of those, don't go, don't go, don't leave. You've got to stay. Ah, we need to develop some releasing skills to help people realize that it just may be that we'll become the prayer power behind what they are going to do. And so here Paul is releasing them. But then he comes to one last person. I called him Marky. I did so for a reason. We read about him in scripture. First of all, we know that his mother was named Mary. We believe she was a wealthy woman. We believe it was her house where the Christians gathered. Where even Christ had Passover, the upper room. Perhaps the same place where Pentecost took place and they were all together in one accord. Uh, that was probably a possibility and perhaps was true. Then we meet him again in Acts chapter 12, verse 25. It says, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission... They returned from Jerusalem. So they'd been in Jerusalem. They returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. So they're going from Jerusalem, and they're going back to Antioch. And, uh, and, and so uh, in, in, this, uh, in this setting, then we read, Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, or we know him as Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Now we're not told, but Mark went with them. The reason we know that he went with them is because later in that same chapter, he says from Paphos, verse 13, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. So I begin to get the picture, and perhaps you are too. Things got tough, difficult. Mark uh, 
He couldn't take it. Whatever was going on, it, it was something that, that unsettled him so much that he quit the team. Now later, in Acts chapter 15, we read that Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, and they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns that we preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Sounds like a good request. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Did you get the picture there? Paul quit. Then Barnabas, later they're having this wonderful prayer meeting. They get set a, a, apart for ministry. And, and uh, uh, during that process, they go and, and John Mark leaves them. And then later again, they've just had a great, great general assembly in the chapter 15 of, of the book of Acts. And, and it was such an exciting time, although there was a lot of division and they worked things out, that they came up with this great idea. Let's go back and minister to the churches where we've been. And Barnabas says, yeah, Paul, great idea. Let's take John Mark. And the scripture says it was such a sharp dispute and disagreement that Barnabas took Mark. And Paul took Silas. Now, don't you think that whatever the time length has been, that both Paul thought about that dispute? And especially, I would imagine that John Mark, in reviewing his life, had the ringing words of the Apostle Paul in his ears. No, I don't want him on my team. That's the kind of relationships oftentimes that we need to do something about when we come to preparing to die. Clearing up those things that might be hanging over either ourselves or others. In his quest to make the best of death, Paul tells Timothy, he said, do it quickly. Send for Mark. He's valuable to me. Oh, that's the grace of God at work. Calling those who need to hear the message of love. Who need to be once again valued and to hear that. And so that's exactly what was done in this setting. It wasn't for Paul's sake, although I must say it probably was. He needed to feel that release, that all was forgiven. But it was for Mark's sake. And so it was that Norma called for the family. Oh, they had a wonderful song service, prayer time, the night before she passed. It was a time of forgiving and crying. And I would imagine there were some Moments when individuals would come and make right perhaps a misunderstanding or to, to ask for forgiveness. That's getting the best 
of death. And that's the example that we have for ourselves. As we come to this conclusion, there's one other thing I want to say. I mentioned it a little bit ago. There's some unfinished business in Norma's life, just like there was unfinished business in Paul's life. There was ministry that he wanted to accomplish, and he sent those on that needed to be released to that ministry. And I wonder if there might be someone here who is experiencing a call to the prayer life and ministry that Norma had. Now, I've been praying that Alita would, would, would have this call to, to good cooking and hospitality, that it would come her way. But for all of us, learning how to use our homes, wasn't it phenomenal how she did that? In, in, in just saying to people, come, and David has been writing these, these articles uh, in Facebook, I remember the time when, and he tells a story about, about Norma. And there's all kinds of them where it involves hospitality and reaching out to others. And then finally, there's that unfinished ministry that she had regarding world missions. Perhaps that is the mantle that needs to fall upon you. Those dreams that she had, the dreams she had for a Hispanic congregation, the, the dreams for reaching out into our community. Wow. Getting the best of death. That's what we want to do today. Come team and lead us in singing. God bless you. Lord, we thank you for this privilege. To reflect on the lives of some giants. Spiritual giants. One who lived in New Testament times. And one who lived among us. And my prayer is that as we wrap up this service, we would do all the work that is necessary in restoring relationships, if that's what we need to do. But also in being released to the ministries that you want to call us to. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.